Urban exploration has been a passion of mine since I was about 14 years old. My friends Eric, Chris, Sam, and myself, Jack, we envied those YouTubers who seemed to throw caution to the wind and dive headfirst into abandoned properties. We grew up in a neighborhood that was hit hard by the 2008 crash, and even though things have mostly recovered, there were still creepy houses that never sold and stayed vacant. Mostly inhabited by homeless people and were trashed, we still felt an incredible rush when we would first enter these properties and start exploring. Many times, we were just fascinated by things left behind by families that had once been so happy to be in these homes, but then tragically had to leave. Of course, we slowly became more ambitious as we got older, which is probably why we set our sights on larger buildings, facilities that serve lots of people. For years, even as kids, we had our eyes on an old abandoned hospital in town. It was six stories tall and fell into bankruptcy early on in the crash due to its private owner's poor financial planning. I had just turned 19 and all of us were looking to be entering college for the following year. We decided that we needed one final big challenge and the hospital seemed like the only reasonable choice. Early on Saturday morning, we met at Sam's house and laid out all of our equipment and supplies. All of us always brought a supply of water, flashlights, spare batteries, and ventilator masks for noxious gases or particulates. Unlike other buildings we had entered, we had a feeling we would need to climb multiple floors to an open window. We were going to bring ropes and harnesses for climbing, something Eric was a bit of a hobbyist in. Chris, however, was bringing a crowbar to make sure we could break in if no window was open. We didn't like this, but didn't put up much of an argument. We were confident we would find an open window, so arguing about it was pointless. We set out just after breakfast and made our way into the abandoned section of town. The hospital wasn't the only abandoned building in this area, but it was the only one we hadn't explored yet. Driving into an adjacent parking lot, we unloaded the car and grabbed our gear. Studying the outside, the hospital was originally made of sturdy stone materials, given it was one of the original buildings in town. However, time had worn the exterior significantly. Several bricks had dislodged and vines and ivy reclaimed the exterior. A dark green moss hungrily consumed most of the building's lower foundation. Weeds shot through cracks in the concrete, and the ground was filled with tree leaves and litter. We all split up for our traditional walk around the building, each person taking in the structure, possible entrances, security, and any other things of note. We always met back at the front entrance to discuss the plan. For the most part, windows and doors were completely boarded or welded shut. Signs littered various entrances noting the structure and grounds to be hazardous. After walking the property, we all noticed a slightly ajar window around the rear of the hospital with ducting leading up to it that likely used to belong to an old, long-removed air conditioning unit. One at a time, we made our way up the structure to the window and inside. I kept watch for any sign of police or security, and then made my way up the ducting and into the open window. I was immediately hit with the dark shades of gray that often permeated the buildings and houses we explored. Light filtered through dirty, cloudy glass windows, and no electricity made it difficult to see while exploring. All of us switched on our flashlights immediately, with extra batteries, it was better to have your path illuminated than to risk making a wrong step onto rotten or moldy subfloor. The window we entered opened into a stairwell halfway up to the sixth floor. The stairs were dirty and piled up leaves making homes in the corners of each stair. 
The top floor above us was deemed inaccessible immediately. Large pieces of equipment, chairs, and other miscellaneous objects from the hospital had apparently been piled haphazardly on the stairwell leading up. Moving it all would have been possible, but time-consuming. Noting this for another day, we started on the stairs down to the fifth floor. I was in the rear, and so I heard the crashing, tumbling chairs and equipment first. The blockage from the sixth floor was coming down on top of us. It didn't take me to get my friends moving, though. We ran down the stairs and dove through an open doorway before the rubble and furniture tumbled down onto where we had been walking. Thankful that none of us were crushed or hurt, we approached the wreckage and realized it had completely caved us in. There was no way back to the window entrance without a lot of heavy lifting. In that moment, the group discussed what the best option would be. We all decided that there had to be another way out of this place, and calling the police would probably result in a trespassing charge. Sam, who was adamant about not getting law enforcement involved, turned his flashlight toward the doorway that led to the fifth floor. Sharing some expletives with us about our suggestion of abandoning the exploration, he flung the door open and stepped inside. The sound of solid metal clanging rang into the hallway following Sam's first steps. Metal, then the crack of bone, and Sam's uncontrolled scream of pain as he tumbled out of view from the rest of us. We searched the door to find him kneeling down, one leg caught in a bear trap set up in the hallway. Aghast at what we were seeing, we started pressing forward to help him. No, stop! Everyone stop! He forced himself to call out in warning. Withdrawing his hands from his injured leg, he shined his flashlight around the hallway. There were at least five more traps in clear view once his light illuminated the room. Satisfied that we had seen the danger, Sam dropped his flashlight and focused back on his leg. He whimpered as he put his hands on the jaws of the trap and tried to remove his leg by himself. He screamed in pain as he released a small amount of pressure from the contact point and released his grip on the trap. We made our way to him carefully, making note of all the traps we could see. Chris and Eric each grabbed one side of the trap and managed to pull it free, releasing Sam's leg. It was a gruesome sight. His leg had been mangled by the metal jaws of the trap. A small section of bone was poking through his pant leg. We pooled what first aid supplies we had to try to bandage and control the bleeding, but the demeanor of the group had certainly changed. No longer were we concerned about getting the authorities involved. Whatever was going on here was something we wanted nothing to do with anymore. Eric pulled out his phone and attempted to find a signal, but the hospital seemed to be a black hole for cell service. All of us pulled out our phones and tried to see if we could reach the outside. I moved into the stairwell to see if proximity to the windows would help. As if the walls were made of lead, none of us could get a cell signal no matter where we moved to. The only choice was to spring the traps and then proceed carefully into the hospital until some way of calling for help could be found. Using some of the furniture from the blockaded stairwell, we triggered the remaining leg traps and started down the hallway. Chris took the lead while Eric and I helped Sam walk with his one good leg. It was slow going in the dark shades of the abandoned hallways, unsure of what other dangers could be lurking in the form of malicious traps. The halls in this section of the hospital were far darker than the stairwell. In addition to being boarded up, the windows looked as if they had been intentionally painted black to block out the sun. Without our flashlights, the hallway and rooms would have been pitch black. Chris, who was slowly moving us all forward, discovered more traps waiting for us as we moved through the maze of hallways. A long strip of upturned nails was laid across the floor, 
and a tripwire tied to something explosive waited for us on the other side of a doorway. We thankfully didn't need to experience these traps other than to avoid them. However, it struck us that nothing we encountered would have been fatal, that every trap, regardless of how sinister, would have only served to either ensnare or incapacitate us. The cave-in we experienced when we first arrived also started to seem suspect. Maybe it wasn't a coincidence that the only exit available from this horrific hospital floor of traps became suddenly unavailable. We turned the corner into a surprisingly empty hallway. Surprising, in this case, that it wasn't filled with homemade traps to maim all of us. Chris cautiously stepped forward, shining his light across the length of the passageway. He turned to us, maybe a little confused that there wasn't something here. He took another step forward and we found out instantly just how mistaken we were. The floor, as if it was made of a sheet of paper meant to look like the tiled hospital, gave way under his feet. He tumbled into a shaft with a yell, and then quickly slid out of sight. Instinctively, I reached out, hand-grasping for any part of his body or clothing I could grab onto, but could only listen as my friend stumbled into the hidden snare. We heard him sliding, banging against metal as he fell down multiple floors, and then nothing. The three of us called down the shaft desperately for some kind of response, but nothing came back. We sat there for a short time, shocked at the sudden loss of one of our friends, thinking to ourselves how the heck we were going to get out of this. Eric spoke first. We have to find him. No way we're leaving him down there. Eric and I helped Sam onto his feet again, and we carefully made our way around the hole in the floor. It wasn't much further till we reached the stairwell on the opposite side of the building. It too was blockaded and impossible for us to clear, especially now that we were working in pitch darkness. It was painfully apparent to us now that the blockages in the stairwells of this floor were indeed intentional, meant to trap explorers, service workers, or other unfortunate people amongst the insidious devices. As we turned to move back to a safer area, we noticed that this side of the building had an elevator shaft. Laying Sam carefully on the floor, Eric and I used what tools we had available to us to pry open the metal doors. There was no car on the other side, but rather the open hoistway with cables extending down into the shaft. With the elevator clearly not in operation, and our options for escape limited to one, we carefully began climbing down to the next floor. The plan was for Eric to go first, and then with our ropes and harness we brought along with us, lower Sam to the next floor using a simple pulley system. There was a mounting bracket in the hallway that must have held some previously removed medical equipment, which was a perfect spot to make a fixed point. I made a constrictor knot with the rope I brought with me against the mount and pulled hard with my weight to ensure it had locked. Using some pulleys, I was able to lower Sam with the mechanical advantage of the makeshift device. He whimpered with the pain of his leg as I moved him a few inches at a time down the elevator shaft. Once he was down to the next floor safely, I carefully made my way down the same rope, leaving it behind with no other way of loosening the knot without cutting the rope entirely. When I stepped onto the tile floor of the fourth story, Eric quickly pulled me to the side and gave me a sign to keep my voice down. Around the corner from where we sat, light was illuminating the hallway in patient rooms. This wasn't the light from any sort of candle, flashlight, or other oil-burning lantern. No, this was electricity. Someone was down here and had restored some of the utilities to the building. I turned to Eric and we both silently understood each other that we needed to proceed as quietly as possible. 
picking up Sam once again, we turned the corner and stopped, not sure we could believe what we were seeing. This section of the hospital held several patient exam rooms, which were labeled as flags above each door indicating if the rooms were occupied or vacant. The scene, however, was unlike any clinic any of us had ever visited, though. The center of the flooring had dark red streaks of blood, which looked like bodies had been dragged across it. These stains seemed to trace into each of the rooms, and in some cases with bloody handprints on the floor and against the walls outside of the rooms. It was as if people had been dragged into these rooms, and they fought and resisted to stay out of them. Eric and I quietly helped Sam into a small room that looked like it had previously been used for cleaning supplies. It was not lit, and he could easily hide there. I turned to my phone to check for signal, and a glimmer of hope welled inside my chest as I saw a single, solitary bar of service on my phone. I tried to make a call to the police right there, but couldn't get it to connect. I turned to my friends and said, I have one bar of signal. Keep trying. I'm going to look for Chris. Even if you get a hold of the cops, it's going to take them a while to find us. Chris may not have that long. They looked at me, concerned but understood this was the only way forward. Sam continued to dial, and Eric was working on propping up Sam's leg and rebandaging. There was no way he could come with me, not while Sam needed medical attention and to stay conscious. Also, if he were to pass out without Eric there, the attempts to call the police would stop. I left what first aid supplies I had with them, and then proceeded down the hallway of gore. The bloodstains themselves weren't even close to the brutality contained in the exam chairs. There were still bodies of eviscerated victims, splayed out like a gruesome canvas of unyielding violence. I nearly vomited as I passed two rooms where bodies were hanging by hooks in the ceiling, almost as if they were being dried out like meat in a butcher shop. I tried not to look at the individual details of each room other than to make sure each was not occupied by the assailant perpetrating these acts. Also, the traps which seemed to prevail the upper floor were not present here. Clearly, the operator of this slaughterhouse was not intent on falling victim to their own devices. I made my way to another staircase, which was open now that we had reached the main hive of this butcher. The light of the patient room hallway faded as I made my way down the dusty steps to the third floor. This floor was not lit like the previous one was. The air was still in this section. Dust settled loosely on the ground so that each step created prints in the vinyl flooring. As I turned the corner, the fluorescent light above me flickered into life, illuminating me standing in the center of the hallway like a spotlight. A moment later, the next light turned on, pinging into life after a few flashes. One by one, lights came on in order, and each time I could see further into the pitch darkness. Transfixed, I watched as the lights nearly reached the end of the hallway. As the second to last light flickered on, there was a short pause. When the last light came on, it turned on instantly, and I reflexively jerked as a figure stood there, illuminated by the light. Frozen to the spot, I perceived a man, wearing a surgical gown, completely covered in blood. He was standing still, head cocked to one side, some sort of large mallet in his hand. All hair standing on end, and my stomach doing somersaults. I let out a yell as the man pushed forward, full sprint toward me. In that moment of confusion and fear, I lost valuable seconds as the man covered the majority of the hallway to where I was standing. I ran then, 
back around the hall toward the staircase. He was gaining on me, though. I couldn't see a way out of this besides diving into one of the adjacent rooms and barring the door. I pivoted on my foot and dove into one of the rooms, narrowly avoiding the swing of the mallet. I scrambled to get up and slammed the door shut, but the doctor was there immediately. He bashed against the door, pushing me backward. As I stumbled, he rushed forward without hesitation, and I saw as the mallet came crashing into my face. Blackness, then. The lights of the hospital. The vision of the doctor faded into the darkness as I lost consciousness. Lost what was likely my only hope of escaping the horror we had discovered. My body fell then, into the ever-infinite black of my unconscious mind, not knowing what terrible fate I would find myself in when I woke.